Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're broadcasting from my beautiful hometown of Los Angeles, where today's been gorgeous and sunny and hot, where the rest of the country's been freezing. So uh, I'm feeling good. I had another big week this week. I went along to um, an entrepreneur's event at Red Bull Head Office in Santa Monica. It was incredible for a whole bunch of reasons, but firstly, their premises is extraordinary. It's just fantastic. It's an old warehouse, and uh, when you walk in, there's um, a wall with lots of clients and writings all over it, which is pretty cool. It doesn't sound pretty cool, but it is. And then when you walk in, there's a skate ramp about 25 foot wide and what seems like 100 yards long that undulates through the whole length of the premises. And underneath the peaks of the ramp are um, things like gym equipment and games and all sorts of things. And then a wall retracts and there's this beautiful theatre. Um, it, it's just an incredible place. It's typical of the uh, new types of offices that are springing up and uh, it makes for a fantastic work environment. Then they had, you know, the bar was there and we all had a few drinks and the food was great. They brought around food and uh, there were short presentations. Started off with Freddie Ravel, who I've mentioned before from Earth, Wind and Fire fame. And, uh, and then there was presentations from about 10 entrepreneurial women from astronauts to all sorts of athletes that have been mega successful in all sorts of um, endeavours. And it's great. All these women got up and said a few words about what they thought, how they became successful, information that they could impart onto other people. The place was packed, mostly women, but it was a fantastic evening put on by Red Bull and uh, to provide inspiration to those attending. It was a really brilliant, brilliant evening and I applaud Red Bull for... um, A tremendous initiative. Apparently, they're going to do it regularly. As you probably know by now, the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and our consulting business, apart from doing the radio show, we consult with corporations, uh, mostly SMEs, and we champion entrepreneurs, startups and early-stage companies. And uh, in fact, all small businesses, no matter where you are in the world, we have clients in... I think four continents right now, and we're heard right around the world at the same time every week. Now, no matter how bad a week you think you might have had, pity poor Elon Musk. Now, as listeners to this show know, I'm a big fan of Musk, and on Thursday and Friday last week, he lost 1.5 billion dollars in just those two days that's billion with a b god 1.5 billion wiped out um now what a lot of people don't know is it's only a few
few years ago that he was living on friends' couches. He couldn't pay his divorce settlement. And now he's went to a net worth of $5 billion earlier in the year. But because of the $1.5 billion drop in his net worth, because of the three fires in Tesla motor vehicles, what a bummer. I still think they're the best car on the road. I know George Clooney bunked his this week, but um, what would he know? Now, there's, there's no question that the internet is really extraordinary in so many ways. I mean, just, just think of what a difference it's made to our lives. And I can't count the number of times that I go onto Google to look up information and to do research. However, what's really even more extraordinary, I reckon, is the Internet of Things. For those of you who are not familiar with the term Internet of Things, it represents a major departure from the regular Internet as it goes from connecting computer devices and connects billions of everyday devices, from refrigerators to stoves to washing machines to parking meters to home thermostats to you name it, it connects every conceivable um, appliance and device to the internet. So you can imagine the size of that market. And when every device on the planet is linked through the internet of things, there'll be about, there's about two billion appliances linked at the moment and that'll increase to about 10 billion appliances in four years and then it begins to increase exponentially. So even just in a couple of years, sorry, even now, it's roughly equivalent to the total number of smartphones, smart TVs, tablets, wearable computers and PCs on the planet combined already. So it's a you know it's a diffuse layer of devices and sensors and computing power that overlays entire consumer and business to business and government industries it just overlays everything everything connected back in so we'll be able to operate everything we've spoken here about factories that operate at the moment on iPads controlling everything from hiring to um, to warehousing to um, production lines. Well, it's, it's going to make a massive leap. So it'll change every inert object into a sensor-laden device that can communicate with all other devices in our lives. You know, the biggest applications will be intelligent traffic management systems, um, you know, traffic lights, toll collecting, congestion penalties, smart parking space management. That'll be good. It's already been used by waste management companies who can tell you how much waste there is in individual bins and they only empty those bins that need emptying. And there's a pay-as-you-throw system, great name, I love it, a pay-as-you-throw system implemented in Cincinnati and that's reduced residential waste by 17% and increased recycling by 49%. So the use of the Internet of Things connected to the smart electricity grid will adjust rates for peak 
energy usage and that is estimated to save up to $500 billion a year by the year 2025. And the use of smart water systems and meters in several major cities have already reduced usage by up to 50% by putting sensors on pumps and other water infrastructure. It has almost unlimited applications in industry, assembly lines, and warehouses. And of course, don't forget advertising. Cisco believes that this will be one of the top three categories for the internet of everything, as they call it. Developments over the next five years will be simply extraordinary. Problem? The overwhelming majority of businesses are simply not ready for this massive revolution in technology. How many of you went out today and bought a lottery ticket? Today's lottery. Today's a lucky day. It's the 11th of the 12th, 13. The 11th day, oh, sorry, the 12th day of the 11th month, 2013. And if you had have bought it at 2.15, it would have been 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Now, that's not going to happen again until 2,103. So I just thought I'd tell you. I hope you went and bought a lottery ticket. And great news yesterday morning for all you shopaholics. Amazon's teamed up with the United States Postal Services Service to deliver packages on Sunday. This will begin in New York and Los Angeles this year and will extend to cities like Houston, New Orleans, Phoenix and others in 2014. The best part of it is it won't cost any extra to get packages delivered on Sunday. Great work, Amazon and UPS. Addressing the consumer's needs is rare. We're lucky here in the States. We get Saturday delivery and now parcel delivery on Sunday. Most countries of the world, in fact, I can't think of any that don't, don't have deliveries at all at weekends. Now, that seems pretty prehistoric, but they don't. One of the things that happened a week or so ago is that Everpix went out of business. This is a real shame, I reckon. In just two years, Everpix went from a dream to one of the world's best solutions for managing a large library of photos. Somehow it seamlessly found and uploaded photos from your desktop and from online services and then it organised them using algorithms to highlight the best ones. It attracted 55,000 users and was generating revenue. But Everpix made the same mistake that many startups make by obsessing over the look and the features of the product. Consequently, they took over a year and a half to have a fully featured product. This is a huge amount of time for a startup these days, and it discouraged investors. The company had focused all of their resources on product development and almost nothing on marketing and advertising. So they had business. They were doing well, great product that everybody raved about. But when they went out soliciting funding, they found that there are a number of investors that will write a check for, say, 
$100,000 to see if a startup can come an overnight sensation. But it's extremely difficult to get a check for a million or more. The sheer explosion of opportunities that's happening right now has spooked the investment community. There's so many choices, and investors know that only a very small percentage of those are going to be successful. Strive Capital has said that investors have stepped back. They see this explosion in um, businesses as a dramatic increase in risk. So despite having a rapidly increasing sign-up of users and receiving heaps of accolades for the technology, they couldn't, receive, they couldn't raise the funding. They went out then and tried to get somebody to acquire them, but that wasn't successful either. Now, the lesson that the founders drew from their experience and that every one of us can draw from this experience was that they spent too much time and money on the product, not enough time and money on marketing and distribution, and they did not effectively position themselves. Their conclusion was that having a great product and business is not enough these days to guarantee either success or funding. Last week, I tell you the, probably the great story about El Luna, which illustrated that it takes guts and determination and probably a few scotches to achieve things in this world. You'll recall that El saw the CEO of Uber at an awards ceremony and went up after a few scotches and told him that she absolutely hated their app. So rather than dismiss her, he invited her to New York. She got to redesign the app. And that is a fantastic story, just goes to show you. So here's another story in the same vein, this time about being recruited. Tristan Walker, who most of us know, wanted to work at the hottest startup in Silicon Valley, this is a few years ago, which at the time was Foursquare. He applied for a job on Foursquare's website and, as is usual, did not get a response. He found the CEO's email address and sent him a note. He got no response. He emailed him again and again and again and again, each time with no response. So he emailed him three more times, eight times in all, still no response. So what did Tristan do? He had two choices, didn't he? He'd give up or try to think of some creative way to get in there. So he started working for them. Unofficially, of course, they weren't aware of it. He wanted a job in business development, so he started doing business development for them. He contacted companies, told them he was a student, and asked them if they'd be interested in advertising on Foursquare. It's, a, you know, it's really important to remember here that not only did he not work for Foursquare, they had absolutely no idea he was doing it. A number of companies said yes, so he emailed the Foursquare CEO a ninth time and told him he had some advertisers for them. Guess what? He got a call back immediately, was asked to come in. <laughs> he was hired 
and he went on to run business development at Foursquare. Last week, I said that every once in a while, someone puts themselves out there, makes the leap, faces rejection or failure, or maybe even worse, and comes out the other side better, stronger, and changed. Now, most people won't do that. This means that those that do change absolutely everything. It just shows that you can do whatever you want if you take the initiative. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, the whole reason we're here is to assist entrepreneurs to become successful. So if you have a question about any aspect of business, please don't hesitate to email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we'll either answer it on air or we'll email you directly. We're proud to say we're the number one show in the world on radio for entrepreneurs. So no matter where you are on this beautiful planet, we thank you for listening. I'll be back in just a moment with Robin Jay, an award-winning author, professional speaker, the president and founder of the Las Vegas Convention Speakers Bureau, and most recently, she was a producer of the personal development movie, The Keeper of the Keys, which stars Jack God, which stars Jack Canfield. I know the guy. Can't even pronounce his name. John Gray and Marcy Shimoff. She's been featured on MSNBC, Newsweek, CNN, BBC, The New York Times, and a heap of other media, far too numerous to mention, and now she's on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, which you're listening to on Voice America Business, and I'll be back after this short break. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, this is the segment of the show where we 
talk to people who have achieved success, people who are making a real difference in the world, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. Now, this program's all about entrepreneurs, and we want to help you become a success by introducing you to people who have become a success and have been through all the trials and tribulations that entrepreneurs go through. My guest today is a true entrepreneur. She's prepared to have a go at lots of various things. And more importantly, she's a great lady and she's very interesting. Robin Jay is an award-winning author, professional speaker, is the president and founder of the Las Vegas Convention Speakers Bureau. God, that's hard to say. And most recently, she was a producer of the personal development movie, The Keeper of the Keys. Now, this stars Jack Canfield, John Gray, and Marcy Shimoff, all people that we're very familiar with. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. She's a contributor to Chicken Soup for the Wine Lover's Soul. So she's obviously a girl after my own heart. And she's featured on MSNBC, Newsweek, CNN, BBC, New York Times, and a heap of other media that's way too numerous to even mention. She became a filmmaker because she quite rightly believes that the world is now digital. And uh, you can watch a movie on your smartphone, for example. So you can reach more people with more engaging and more compelling message if you use film. So Robin became a filmmaker, as you do. Hi, Robin. How are you? Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business. Hello, Bob. How are you? I am great. Thank Uh, you for having me as your guest. I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners. It's a pleasure. Now, I've got a lot of favorite sayings, and my favorite being, the only way to change people is to change people. I love that. I think it's so true. (laughs) That's pretty funny. When I was looking through your information, the first thing that jumped out at me was a quote saying, maybe your mother was wrong. Now, I would never say that to my mother because I probably wouldn't live through it, even though she's 90-odd. So when you say, maybe your mother was wrong, what do you mean by that? Oh, that's about, my first book was The Art of the Business Lunch. And when your mother tells you don't talk to strangers, if you don't talk to strangers, you won't be able to build your business. So that that was just kind of a a tongue-in-cheek reference to being able to network and approach strangers and open up a dialogue with them so that you can expand your networking circle. Yeah, if you don't talk to strangers, you never get to talk to anybody, do you? I mean, you, you're sort of born without a lot of friends, aren't you, really? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you have to be able to, to uh, talk to strangers, to approach people, to have compelling information, to open a great dialogue. Yeah, I'm, you're great at that. I've watched some of your clips. Um, Robin's a great Thank speaker, you. and I've watched some of your clips, and, and you're a great one of those great communicators. And uh, I've been shredding the boards and and I've given 1500 speeches and I've addressed all sorts of people but I am still not a great communicator I'm still one of those people who goes to a cocktail party and I sort of get stuck with the first person I meet for the rest of the night because I'm not good at moving around and talking to people how do you overcome that because I know a lot of people that are in the same boat 
That is one of the most consistent questions that I get asked. How do you get rid of the guy at the cocktail party who is hard to get rid of? That's and <laughs> you just have to be upfront about it. You have to, you know, smile, look them in the eye and say, listen, I came here to meet uh, s- several people and I need to move on. It's been a pleasure. Do you have a card? You know, and just get yourself out of there. Usually what people will do is they'll try to stick their friends with him. Yeah. Hey, Jimmy, come over here. I want you to meet someone. And then they duck out. And that's not fair to your friends either, especially if the guy is a bore and they don't have a lot to contribute. You just have to say, you know, I'm sorry I have to work and I think I see someone I recognize over at the other end of the room. And get yourself out of that situation. If you're paying anywhere between 20 to $55 for a networking event, do you really want to be stuck talking to the same person all night long? You're there to network and build your network. So what and if, so you ha- have that obligation to yourself to move along. What's a, what, what's a good opening thing? Surely, hi, I'm Bob Pritchard. Who are you and what do you do? That sounds really crappy and corny. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I I just spoke at UNLV to the students and told them candidly that you need a great elevator pitch and you want it to be 10 words or less, five or less is even better. You want it to open a dialogue and you want it to be interesting. So uh, if if I'm at a networking event and someone comes up to me and says, what do you do? I'll say, I may say I'm a filmmaker or I'm a personal development filmmaker or if I'm really being cheeky, I'll say, I empower people. And it's a great opening line because then they want to, oh, really, how do you do that? Yeah. And it opens that dialogue. And I say, well, I write books. I'm a motivational speaker. And I'm a filmmaker. Most recently, I produced a personal development film. And then I'm quick to drop the names of Jack Campfield and John Gray and Marcy, who are in my movie. And, and the next thing I know, we're going on and on. They're like, how did you do that? It's interesting. I want to hear about it. But like I told the kids, if you're at a networking event and you ask someone, you know, oh, so what do you do? And they go, oh, what don't I do? Or, oh, I do so much, I don't know where to begin. I told them, I'll walk away. Yeah. I, you're at a networking event. You better be able to spit out who you are and what you do and the purpose is to find that common ground so you can have a conversation with someone find out if there's someone that you want in your circle someone you want to follow up with that's the information that you want to offer okay now robin's written several great books two of them are about lunch this girl is absolutely (laughs) obsessed with lunch both the art of the business lunch, building relationships between 12 and 2, and Chicken Soup for the Wine Lover's Soul, where she confesses to hosting over 3,000 client lunches. Now, I just did a bit of quick math, and that equates to having a business lunch every single day for over 12 years. So just imagine a business lunch every day for over 12 years. Robin, can I ask you a personal question? How big How come are I don't you? weigh 300 pounds? <laughs> <laughs> I expect you, and you're not at all, but I expect no. you to be this enormous person. Um, well, my audience has asked me that too, Bob, and I always say I ordered the fish. 
<laughs> it's actually it was over almost twenty years. Right. So, uh, but if old. you consider networking breakfast or breakfast meetings, which today a breakfast meeting is really a great key to managing your time, yep. because if if you can't take an hour and a half in the middle of the day, there are a lot of working mothers. They can't if they go to a business lunch. They're not going to leave the office in time to go home and pick up their kids. So leaving earlier, having a a business breakfast, you can accomplish the same goals. Something really magical happens when you break bread. But I ended up probably having 10 events a week. Uh, If it was three business lunches and two breakfasts and three events or, you know, mixers or meeting someone after work, and it was a lot of face-to-face time. And... If I could just say, the email that you sent out yesterday about the change in business today, yeah. that we're just at the start of this. And it's, I think it's important that I say that in spite of all of the advancements in technology, and yes, everything is digital, those FaceTime skills are never going to change. You still need to be able to look someone in the eye and connect with them. And sometimes what we're doing is we have these phone relationships. I have so many friends that I've never met face-to-face. Being able to communicate with them on the phone or via Skype is also critically important. Those people skills will never go away. They'll never be replaced by technology. No, I agree. I did a thing on the program last night. I just got back from um, um, India and Dubai and... um, a couple other places giving speeches and I, I said on the program that um, there, there's something about a conference where you get all your brightest people together face to face that that combines um, your keynotes and your workshops and, and social. That is a fantastic boon to a business that you don't get by video conferencing or by phone calls or whatever. Exactly. something, you know, when you can look at people and see the whites of their eyes and you get into a better conversation and you learn a hell of a lot more. Exactly. And you know, Forbes did an insight study on the case for face-to-face, and 84% of business professionals prefer to do business face-to-face because they want to see your reaction when you say something to someone. They want, they want to see the other people, how they are, how they interact with you. The only reason the other people, 16%, like technology-assisted meetings is because of either time or money. Because it does take time to say you're going to a conference, you're talking two days of travel if it's across the country, and it's expensive. And so if you have a technology-assisted meeting where now, thanks to Skype and uh, FaceTime and all of the ways that we can interact, you can kind of achieve that on you know a greater budget. But uh, there's no substitute for actually getting to meet someone, and especially someone if you've had a relationship with them on the phone. Yeah, no, and I then agree. you finally get to see them face to face. It's just wonderful. So, when you um, when you go to a networking event and there's fifty people there, do you try and get around the whole room, or do you hone in on specific people before you go there? But most times you don't know who's going to be there. How do, how do you operate? You have the best questions, Bob, because these are the questions that I'm asked whenever I whenever I go out and I'm speaking about networking or building business face to face. If you came away with three or four great contacts that you're really going to follow up with in a room of 100 people, you have done great. It doesn't make sense to meet 
a hundred people, if more than half of them are never going to do business with you, sure. you don't care for them, you're not going to have a relationship with them. So what you want to do is you want to find those key people. If you've ever been to a luncheon where there's a speaker, you notice the speaker's usually sitting alone before the event, or no one knows that's the speaker. Yeah. And then afterwards, there's a line of people waiting to talk to him. Yeah. That's the time, or her, that's the time that, you know, before the lunch, go up and talk to them. Also, don't sit with your friends, and that's the hardest thing. And I'm as guilty as the next person calling, hey, are you going to luncheon today? Save me a seat. Because it's awkward, it's uncomfortable for most of us to go into a room full of strangers and try and mingle. Yeah. But your life depends on it. So what I always say is imagine that someone in the room has $10,000 or $50,000 for you, and it's your job to find out who that is. And it's just that little shift where now you're going to work it a little more actively. And this is one of the things that I discovered as a business owner versus working for someone else. Not not that I wasn't an amazing employee, but now that I own my own business and my success depends on my ability to get out there and network, I want to make sure that I've talked to everybody in that room that I need to. And that is one of the other advantages of being the speaker. If I'm speaking, everyone in the room knows who I am and what I'm about. Sure. So I encourage business owners and entrepreneurs to become speakers, to hone their speaking skills because of that. Then everyone in the room knows you. Otherwise, if you attend an event, you get to meet the person to your left, the person to your right. You hear a speaker. Maybe you come away, you met three people. Yeah, and, no, you know, if they're key people, that's great. But, but if they're not the people that you needed to meet while you're there... Yeah, uh, I think you've I, wasted your time and money. Yeah, I just picked up a major contract, um, consulting contract, simply because I gave a speech and they loved it, and I picked up a, exactly. a great contract. So, yeah, it's it's really well worth just hiring. And I'm amazed too. Skills. Can I just say that? So many industry experts are called upon to get up and speak to a big group, and I recently did a team building event for a. a big company, a Forbes 100 company, and we were at a distributor, one of their distributors' warehouses, and the gentleman in charge of the warehouse business was going to stand up and have five minutes on the program. They loaded his program onto my laptop. He had 18 slides. Now, I can go through 18 slides in five minutes, but most people can't. And he brought this really fun, really exciting meeting to a screeching halt. People were glazing over. They were... It, it was the worst. And all I can think of is people will say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a professional presenter. If you are running a business, get training. Get speaker training. Learn how to be captivating. Learn how to deliver a message or how to build a compelling PowerPoint. So many people need those skills, even if you're not a professional speaker. And I also, just got two doctors. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to go out and give speeches to 500 people. You could be giving a speech at the local entrepreneurs event or the local um, uh, chamber Rotary of commerce or, event. Just, yeah, but even for your employees or for your team, yeah. you want to learn how to deliver that program well. In fact, I, I love the Shark Tank. I just think it's one of the most fun reality TV shows out there today. Yeah, I think if it was anything like reality, it'd be good. <laughs> but you know what, you can still reality. learn something from it. And and there were two doctors, and they had an idea for basically what it was, was a social media 
for yeah. doctors. And so people could go on and, and really check their doctors. And the, of course, the sharks were like, what's the difference between this and Yelp or searching that? It was for the doctors. And at the end, because they had... The, the shark said, this is probably the worst presentation we've ever seen. Yeah. And one of the doctors said, but we're not professional presenters, we're doctors. And all I can think of is if your business depends on your ability to make a presentation that's going to get, you, that's going to get money for your company, why wouldn't you take speaker training? Why wouldn't you ask someone and practice and rehearse and make sure you knew your facts and that you were good at it. And too many executives in business think because of who they are, what they're doing, or the content they're sharing, that people will just have to listen to them. Yeah. And it's really nice if you can become a master communicator and learn how to share your message in an effective way. I agree. Okay, let's talk about the movie. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> the movie's called The Keeper of the Keys, and it covers topics such as appreciation and law of attraction, harmony, faith, courage, compassion, empathy, vibration, etc. Now, I know exactly what many of my listeners are thinking. They're thinking, God, this sounds like just another talk fest by a bunch of well-known talking heads. Now, yes. let me just say... The Keeper of the Keys won the 2012 Best Independent Film at the Las Vegas International Film Festival. It was the Indie Fest winner and was also the winner of the 2012 Official Selection at the Las Vegas International Film Festival. So it's not just another bunch of talking heads, and I've been in quite a number of those. <laughs> Robin, what makes this film different? What makes it compelling? It's the first funny self-help film. In fact, the tagline is taking the hell out of self-help. Uh, I have, because I am the president of a speaker's bureau, ever since the blockbuster success of the film The Secret, yeah. a lot of people have been cranking out talking head documentaries. Right. And they're, they're good, but they're dry. They're as exciting as reading a self-help book. Yeah. And I couldn't get through them. I have a low tolerance. I live in Las Vegas. You know, the entertainment bar is this high here. And I'm trying to watch them because I know the speakers who are in them. I'm trying to get involved in it. And about 10 minutes, 15 minutes into the typical film, I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I have work to do. I have other things. They're just, they're so dry. They're so unengaging. And I thought, you know what? I need to raise the bar on this. In fact, in 2010, my cousin that I grew up with, we were BFFs growing up, and she was out here visiting. She has six kids, seven grandkids, and she smokes. And I sat her down to watch one of the better movies, which is Louise Hayes' movie, You Can Heal Your Life. Yeah. And it's very well produced. I'm sure she spent several million dollars making the movie. And I said, do me a favor, honey. I want you to see this. So about 45 minutes into it, she looks at me and she says, Robin, I get it. I need to quit smoking. Can we go to the casino now? <laughs> and it hit me. I thought, okay, someone needs to make a movie that even my cousin would sit through and want to see how it ends. So I wanted to make it funny, and the way to do that without taking anything away from the experts was to create a hybrid and introduce fictional characters. Right. And the comedy and the humor of the story would come from the fictional characters as they interact. So it's basically uh, kind of like... If you imagine A Christmas Carol, where we have this main character, Michael Walden, 
he loses his job, his house is in foreclosure, and he becomes so negative his fiance breaks up with him. Yep. Hilarious premise, right? right. <laughs> so he he keeps seeing Jack Canfield everywhere, and he falls asleep, and Jack Canfield appears on his TV set and says, I'm going to send some experts to help you. They're going to show you the keys and how to use them. And he's like, are you talking to me? So he falls back asleep, and I'm actually, I wrote, produced, and co-star in the movie. I show up at the front door, and I take him through a closet into this magical mansion where he interacts with the experts. The experts appear in picture frames. So we kind of said it's like the secret meets Harry Potter. And the experts share their deeply personal stories of transformation, which I also felt was a key. I published an anthology series called The Power of the Platform, and one of the the keys that I used in that was not having the trite sound bites. That's what makes those movies so boring. Right. Is I people agree. are saying, oh, passion is the jet fuel that drives you to your dreams. And it doesn't mean anything <laughs> to the average person. It's just trite. And they're sound bites. And they, they, we've heard them a hundred times and they don't resonate with us. Yeah. What I had my experts do in the movie was share their stories, what made them who they are today, just like you do with your radio show. You want people to really engage and share their story and what makes them different from everybody else. So I had a girl talk about how she almost committed suicide. I had a guy talk about his financial investment clients and so on. Uh, uh, How do you become... accountable to yourself on a daily basis. One of the girls talked about the key of appreciation and well, after we filmed her segment, I wanted her to come back because I wasn't happy with the caliber of it. Well, she couldn't come back. Her father had had a stroke. And so we had her go to a studio in Cleveland where she lives and record an audio track. And my editor and director put together this beautiful photo collage of her with her father in happier times. And she talked about now she really had the opportunity to express gratitude in a very challenging situation when there's nothing obvious for you to be grateful for. How do you find that gratitude? And so it's one of those really moving moments about relationships and harmony in human relationships and about courage. One of my experts was shot at point-blank range by a deranged stranger, and he tells that story of how he overcame his post-traumatic stress disorder. He's got a treatment for that. In 10 minutes, he can cure you. Yeah, I think I think that's great because I think most people look at these um, self-help type type um, programs and think, yeah, that's all right for them. They're exceptional people. I, you know, you sit and watch somebody and say, wow, I could never do right. that, and so they're, right. they're defeated before they start. But by putting in real life situations, I think that's a great idea because it. People can it empowers to people because they hear that. In fact, Ken Wallace was one of my experts, and he passed away in December from a brain tumor. So his story becomes even more ironic when you watch the movie, and he talks about his grandma and grandpa, and he says, I'll never forget my grandpa looked at me and shook his head and said, it's just all over too soon, Ken. It's just all over too soon. And we lost Ken at 61. But his story about grandma and grandpa was about their relationship and grandma had Alzheimer's and he made, grandpa made the difficult decision to, to finally put her in a home where she'd be safe and made the difficult decision to do that and then the journey every day, 20 minutes each way to go see her. And someone asked him, why do you do it? She doesn't know who you are. You expect him to say, well, 
she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. But his grandpa instead said, she may not know who I am, but I know who I am. Yeah. And I'm the man who vowed to love her and honor her till death do us part. So instead of just, you know, the trite story, it becomes a story of commitment and ethics and a love story. And so you watch this, and when I'm in a screening of the movie, I know the hankies are going to come out right then because it's such an incredible love story, and he tells it so eloquently. It's just beautiful. So every story like that, Huina Su, the, the girl who was so depressed, grew up in Taiwan in a culture where they revere boys, and her father called her his substitute son. Yeah. And she hated it, and she never felt like whatever she did was good enough. So anyone watching that who has ever felt like they're not enough is going to hear her story and become empowered and say, if she could overcome this and wake up and realize that she has a lot to contribute, so do I. Robin, we are running out of time, but, you know, making a film is a bit like any other business, that instead of the business plan, the management and the money you need the story the cast and the money what was the biggest challenge in making keeper of the keys oh gosh just one, yes, just one. <laughs> as i'm in development on my next movie and you can see who's going to be in that at the uh we, you can watch the trailer for the keeper of the keys yep. i look back now as i'm in development on my second film and i don't know how i did it all in about 10 months or a year. Right. I recruited the experts. I got the stars on board. I hired a director. I had a mentor I worked with who was fantastic. I always get a mentor if you're going to do something you've never done before. Find sure, someone who's done it and follow their footsteps. And then getting, I learned so much having to master the DVD and do titles. And there's so many people involved. It really does take a tremendous community. And I think probably the, the marketing has been the hardest because I invested everything into making the film great and so I'm still marketing it I just hired a, a PR expert to help us get it out there more I blog I publicize it and it's such an amazing movie everyone who sees it loves it and and I just think the hard thing is just the entire collaborative effort and yet that is what's so magical That's about what makes it. it work right Robin you're a great entrepreneur and we wish you every Thank success you. with both Keeper of the Keys and your new movie. So the if you'd like to find out more about Robin or engage her for your next conference, go to robinj.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-J-A-Y.com. And if you get a chance to catch Robin's movie, The Keeper of the Keys, I guarantee that you will really enjoy it. This is Bob Pritchard. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business, and I'll be back with you in just a moment. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to Bob at BobPritchard.com. 
That's Bob at BobPritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard. Straight talking, no bullshit. We just tell it the way it is. Business show coming to you live Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. here in Los Angeles on a lovely night. Firstly, today I'd like to apologize to all the people that have sent emails that we haven't been able to answer on air. Um, There are just way too many to get through. We do reply to every email, but 99% of them we just reply directly, and we do try to give you a brief answer to your questions, but um, I hope you understand that it's just not possible to give in-depth answers to everybody's email. I need to hire a team of people to be able to do that. But keep your emails coming in to bob at bobpritchard.com. It does keep us abreast of the issues that you're facing, and that enables us to have a more informed program. So keep sending those emails in. Each week, we try to bring you emails from listeners around the world. Most of our emails come from the United States, but we also get a lot of emails from female entrepreneurs, And as you may know, that is a very rapidly growing segment of entrepreneurship. And as I mentioned in the first half of the show, I saw 10 sensational entrepreneurs the other night at at Red Bull offices. And uh, female entrepreneurs are forming a good solid base of our supporters on this program. So my first email today comes from... I think it's Janine, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but I think it's Janine Matthews from Edmonton in Alberta, Canada, which is our northern neighbour. Dear Bob, thank you for an excellent show. It is fun and informative. I did get a copy of Kick-Ass Marketing from Amazon, and it's probably the best business book that I have in my collection. Well, I hope that's a really big collection, um, Janine, but if it's only one of two books, I'm still happy to be the better of them. I've been considering doing an email campaign, but the local advertising agency that I use has put a dampener on it and says that it is not effective. I'm concerned that they are a bit out of touch with the real world and are still focused primarily on print and radio ads. What do you think? Well, firstly, Janine, I don't know what they're focused on, Um, But I do find in my travels that many agencies are out of touch with the huge changes that are taking place in the way that everybody communicates today and the products we offer. I do know a lot of people who use email advertising and it works gangbusters. So um, anyway, I did some research and everything I read confirms that email marketing when done well is extremely successful. But I came across some research by Alchemy Works, who are a specialist email marketing agency, and their research explodes seven major myths of email marketing that I've heard from a number of agencies um, that I thought would pass on to you. These myths tend to get used by agencies who are trying to get you to invest in radio and newspapers where they get a great whack of the commission. So the first myth is that consumers are drowning in emails from trusted brands and therefore won't read yours. Well, their research shows that around 40% of consumers 
who receive branded emails are receiving no more than three per day. And the other 60% are receiving no more than six per day. So if you look at me, for example, I get about 500 emails a day. If I'm only getting six branded emails, I get a lot of crap too, but if I'm only getting six branded emails, then you've got a really good chance of getting through to me. Much better chance than advertising in the newspapers, which I won't read, or listening to satellite radio, which has no ads. <laughs> so one way to get me would be by email. The research also confirms that 74% of consumers prefer to receive their commercial communication via email. Now, this is a higher percentage than any other distribution channel. So if they say that, you know, it's going to get lost in all the emails, that's just plain crap. The second myth, and I must admit I believe this one, is that there's a best time to send emails. I really believed that... um, Tuesday afternoon was the best time to send emails. But the research does not back this up. The research shows that while 76% of emails are opened in the first two days, 80% of purchases take place after that two-day period, and over a third of purchases take place more than two weeks after the email is received. Now, that makes sense to me because when I buy things I usually mark the um, the email and I'll come back to it when I have time. So that makes sense. The third myth is that you should stop sending emails to inactive users after six months. Well, I must admit, I also tend to do that. But the research showed that around 20% of emails sent to customers who had been dormant for more than six months result in purchases. So when you think it costs you nothing to send out an email and you get 20% of your sales from those so-called dormant potential customers, you'd continue to do it, wouldn't you? The fourth myth that Alchemy Works uncovered is that consumers are not trigger happy with the spam button. In fact, less than one subscriber in every 2,000 will mark an email as spam. Now, um, I've been told by advertising people exactly that, that people will just mark it as spam and you're just wasting your time and effort. That ain't true. The fifth myth, I think, is an interesting one. The belief is that if you send more emails, consumers will get sick of them and increasingly ignore them. This research shows that over a three-month period, if the brand increases the number of emails it sends to consumers from one to four a month, i.e. four times more emails, that increases the number of consumers opening one one or more emails from 10% to 24% and results in increased revenue of 11%. So doubling up or tripling up or quadrupling up the number of emails you send sells more stuff. The sixth myth is that short email subject lines give better results. 
Alchemy Works analysed over 200 million emails, so it's not just a random sample around the office, and found that 70 characters or longer in the subject line caused more consumers to click on the content of the email. So there you go, tell the story in the um, subject line and you'll get opened. The final myth that was debunked is that subject lines cause emails to end up in the spam folder. After analysis of 200 clients and 540 billion emails, it showed that the wording of the subject line has little to do with the email being determined as spam. The main reason an email is termed as spam is the sender's reputation. The conclusion was that marketers using emails must move beyond segmentation, timeliness and relevance and instead see email as a broadcast channel allowing marketers to communicate a message to millions of subscribers regularly rather than sending less emails to less people less often. Janine, I hope I've pronounced your name right and I hope that information's helpful to you. Since you already have a copy of Kick-Ass Marketing, Business and Marketing Secrets, we will send you a copy of Marketing Magic, a beautiful red-covered book that I wrote with um, Brian Tracy, um, who else, Jay Conrad Levison, um, Robert Bly, and a number of others that you'll know, and I hope you enjoy it. Now, the explosion in local media on mobile is continuing to rewrite the rules for marketers. A new report from BI Intelligence says that 74% of US smartphone owners, 74%, use mobile location-based services with apps like Life360 and Waze, doing well because consumers believe they're getting great value out of not just sharing their location, but being able to share other information as well. BI also reports that research strongly supports the fact that local apps and advertising are driving in-store purchases. Mobile local campaigns allow marketers to push customers down the purchase funnel and close the loop with in-store foot traffic and purchases. Geo-audience profiling, geo-conquesting and hyper-local in-store campaigns are the three major strategies used to segment audiences and target consumers based on their location. Now, mobile local campaigns, they take a solid strategy. They take a lot of work, but they certainly pay off. You're listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And if you're a regular listener to the show and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website, it's bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter, which I believe has now just gone out. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google Plus and contact me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, 
really serious about being successful, this is the place to come every week at exactly the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic and successful week. Good evening. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.